0: Section 2 of Treatise on Light by Christian Huygens, translated by Sylvanus P. Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Availly in October 2012. Chapter 1. On Rays Propagated in Straight Lines. Part 2 as regards the different modes in which i have said the movements of sound and of light are communicated one may sufficiently comprehend how this occurs in the case of sound if one considers that the air is of such a nature that it can be compressed and reduced to a much smaller space than that which it ordinarily occupies and in proportion as it is compressed the more does it exert an effort to regain its volume for this property along with its penetrability which remains notwithstanding its compression seems to prove that it is made up of small bodies which float about and which are agitated very rapidly in the ethereal matter composed of much smaller parts so that the cause of the spreading of sound is the effort which these little bodies make in collisions with one another, to regain freedom when they are a little more squeezed together in the circuit of these waves than elsewhere. But the extreme velocity of light and other properties which it has cannot admit of such a propagation of motion, and I am about to show here the way in which I conceive it must occur." for this it is needful to explain the property which hard bodies must possess to transmit movement from one to another when one takes a number of spheres of equal size made of some very hard substance and arranges them in a straight line so that they touch one another one finds on striking with a similar sphere against the first of these spheres that the motion passes as in an instant to the last of them which separates itself from the row without one's being able to perceive that the others have been stirred and even that one which was used to strike remains motionless with them whence one sees that the movement passes with an extreme velocity which is the greater the greater the hardness of the substance of the spheres but it is still certain that this progression of motion is not instantaneous but successive and therefore must take time for if the movement or the disposition to movement if you will have it so did not pass successively through all these spheres they would all acquire the movement at the same time and hence would all advance together which does not happen for the last one leaves the whole row and acquires the speed of the one which was pushed. Moreover, there are experiments which demonstrate that all the bodies which we reckon of the hardest kind, such as quenched steel, glass, and agate, act as springs and bend somehow, not only when extended as rods, but also when they are in the form of spheres or of other shapes that is to say they yield a little in themselves at the place where they are struck and immediately regain their former figure for i have found that on striking with a ball of glass or of agate against a large and quick thick piece of the same substance which had a flat surface slightly soiled with breath or in some other way there remained round marks of smaller or larger size according as the blow had been weak or strong this makes it evident that these substances yield where they meet and spring back and for this time must be required now in applying this kind of movement to that which produces light there is nothing to hinder us from estimating the particles of the ether to be of a substance as nearly approaching to perfect hardness and possessing a springiness as prompt as we choose it is not necessary to examine here the causes of this hardness or of that springiness the consideration of which would lead us too far from our subject i will say however in passing that we may conceive that the particles of the ether notwithstanding their smallness are in turn composed of other parts and that their springiness consists in the very rapid movement of a subtle matter which penetrates them from every side and constrains their structure to assume such a disposition as to give to this fluid matter the most overt and easy passage possible this accords with the explanation which mr descartes gives for the spring though i do not like him suppose the pores to be in the form of round hollow canals and it must not be thought that in this there is anything absurd or impossible it being on the contrary quite credible that it is this infinite series of different sizes of corpuscles having different degrees of velocity of which nature makes use to produce so many marvellous effects but though we shall ignore the true cause of springiness we still see that there are many bodies which possess this property and thus there is nothing strange in supposing that it exists also in little invisible bodies like the particles of the ether also if one wishes to seek for any other way in which the movement of light is successively communicated one will find none which agrees better with uniform progression as seems to be necessary than the property of springiness because if this movement should grow slower in proportion as it is shared over a greater quantity of matter in moving away from the source of the light it could not conserve this great velocity over great distances but by supposing springiness in the ethereal matter its particles will have the property of equally rapid restitution whether they are pushed strongly or feebly and thus the propagation of light will always go on with an equal velocity and it must be known that although the particles of the ether are not ranged thus in straight lines as in our row of spheres but confusedly so that one of them touches several others this does not hinder them from transmitting their movement and from spreading it always forward as to this it is to be remarked that there is a law of motion serving for this propagation and verifiable by experiment it is that when a sphere such as a here touches several other similar spheres c c c if it is struck by another sphere b in such a way as to exert an impulse against all the spheres c c c which touch it it transmits to them the whole of its movement and remains after that motionless like the sphere b and without supposing that the ethereal particles are of spherical form for i see indeed no need to suppose them so one may well understand that this property of communicating an impulse does not fail to contribute to the aforesaid propagation of movement equality of size seems to be more necessary because otherwise there ought to be some reflection of movement backwards when it passes from a smaller particle to a larger one according to the laws of percussion which i published some years ago However one will see hereafter that we have to suppose such an equality not so much as a necessity for the propagation of light as for rendering that propagation easier and more powerful for it is not beyond the limits of probability that the particles of the ether have been made equal for a purpose so important as that of light at least in that vast space which is beyond the region of atmosphere and which seems to serve only to transmit the light of the sun and the stars i have then shown in what manner one may conceive light to spread successively by spherical waves and how it is possible that this spreading is accomplished with as great a velocity as that which experiments and celestial observations demand whence it may be further remarked that although the particles are supposed to be in continual movement for there are many reasons for this the successive propagation of the waves cannot be hindered by this because the propagation consists nowise in the transport of those particles but merely in a small agitation which they cannot help communicating to those surrounding notwithstanding any movement which may act on them causing them to be changing positions amongst themselves but we must consider still more particularly the origin of these waves and the manner in which they spread and first it follows from what has been said on the production of light that each little region of a luminous body such as the sun a candle or a burning coal generates its own waves of which that region is the centre thus in the flame of a candle having distinguished the points a b c concentric circles described about each of these points represent the waves which come from them and one must imagine the same about every point on the surface and of the part within the flame but as the percussions at the centres of these waves possess no regular succession, it must not be supposed that the waves themselves follow one another at equal distances. And if the distances marked in the figure appear to be such, it is rather to mark the progression of one and the same wave at equal intervals of time than to represent several of them issuing from one and the same centre after all this prodigious quantity of waves which traverse one another without confusion and without effacing one another must not be deemed inconceivable it being certain that one and the same particle of matter can serve for many waves coming from different sides or even from contrary directions not only if it is struck by blows which follow one another closely but even for those which act on it at the same instant it can do so because the spreading of the movement is successive this may be proved by the row of equal spheres of hard matter spoken of above if against this row there are pushed from two opposite sides at the same time two similar spheres a and d one will see each of them rebound with the same velocity which it had in striking yet the whole row will remain in its place although the movement has passed along its whole length twice over. And if these contrary movements happen to meet one another at the middle sphere, B, or at some other, such as C, that sphere will yield and act as a spring at both sides, and so will serve at the same instant to transmit these two movements. But what may at first appear full strange and even incredible is that the undulations produced by such small movements and corpuscles should spread to such immense distances, as for example from the sun or from the stars to us. For the force of these waves must grow feeble in proportion as they move away from their origin, so that the action of each one in particular will without doubt become incapable of making itself felt to our sight but one will cease to be astonished by considering how at a great distance from the luminous body an infinitude of waves though they have issued from different points of this body unite together in such a way that they sensibly compose one single wave only which consequently ought to have enough force to make itself felt thus this infinite number of waves which originate at the same instant from all points of a fixed star big it may be as the sun make practically only one single wave which may well have force enough to produce an impression on our eyes moreover from each luminous point there may come many thousands of waves in the smallest imaginable time by the frequent percussion of the corpuscles which strike the ether at these points which further contributes to rendering their action more sensible there is the further consideration in the emanation of these waves that each particle of matter in which a wave spreads ought not to communicate its motion only to the next particle which is in the straight line drawn from the luminous point but that it also imparts some of it necessarily to all the others which touch it and which oppose themselves to its movement so it arises that around each particle there is made a wave of which that particle is the centre thus if dcf is a wave emanating from the luminous point a which is its centre the particle b one of those comprised within the sphere dcf will have made its particular or partial wave KCl which will touch the wave DCF at C at the same moment that the principal wave emanating from the point A has arrived at DCF, and it is clear that it will be only the region C of the wave KCl which will touch the wave DCF, to wit, that which is in the straight line drawn through AB. Similarly, the other particles of the sphere dcf, such as bb, dd, etc., will each make its own wave. But each of these waves can be infinitely feeble only as compared with the wave dcf, to the composition of which all the others contribute by the part of their surface which is most distant from the centre A. One sees, in addition, that the wave DCF is determined by the distance attained in a certain space of time by the movement which started from the point A, there being no movement beyond this wave, though there will be in the space which it encloses, namely in parts of the particular waves, those parts which do not touch the sphere DCF and all this ought not to seem fraught with too much minuteness or subtlety since we shall see in the sequel that all the properties of light and everything pertaining to its reflection and its refraction can be explained in principle by this means this is a matter which has been quite unknown to those who hitherto have begun to consider the waves of light amongst whom are mr hook in his micrographia and father pardis who in a treatise of which he let me see a portion and which he was unable to complete as he died shortly afterward had undertaken to prove by these waves the effects of reflection and refraction but the chief foundation which consists in the remark i have just made was lacking in his demonstrations and for the rest he had opinions very different from mine as maybe will appear some day if his writing has been preserved To come to the properties of light. We remark first that each portion of a wave ought to spread in such a way that its extremities lie always between the same straight lines drawn from the luminous point. Thus the portion BG of the wave, having the luminous point A as its centre, will spread into the arc CE bounded by the straight lines ABC, AGE, for although the particular waves produced by the particles comprised within the space cae spread also outside this space they yet do not concur at the same instant to compose a wave which terminates the movement as they do precisely at the circumference ce which is their common tangent and hence one sees the reason why light at least if its rays are not reflected or broken Spreads only by straight lines, so that it illuminates no object except when the path from its source to that object is open along such lines. For if, for example, there were an opening BG, limited by opaque bodies BH, GI, the wave of light which issues from the point A will always be terminated by the straight lines AC, AE. As has just been shown, the parts of the partial waves which spread outside the space ace being too feeble to produce light there. Now, however small we make the opening bg, there is always the same reason causing the light there to pass between straight lines, since this opening is always large enough to contain a great number of particles of the ethereal matter which are of an inconceivable smallness so that it appears that each little portion of the wave necessarily advances following the straight line which comes from the luminous point thus then we may take the rays of light as if they were straight lines it appears moreover by what has been remarked touching the feebleness of the particular waves that it is not needful that all the particles of the ether should be equal amongst themselves though equality is more apt for the propagation of the movement for it is true that inequality will cause a particle by pushing against another larger one to strive to recoil with a part of its movement but it will thereby merely generate backwards towards the luminous point some partial waves incapable of causing light and not a wave compounded of many as c e was another property of waves of light and one of the most marvellous is that when some of them come from different or even from opposing sides they produce their effect across one another without any hindrance whence also it comes about that a number of spectators may view different objects at the same time through the same opening and that two persons can at the same time see one another's eyes now according to the explanation which has been given of the action of light how the waves do not destroy nor interrupt one another when they cross one another these effects which i have just mentioned are easily conceived but in my judgment they are not at all easy to explain according to the views of mr descartes who makes light to consist in a continuous pressure merely tending to movement. For this pressure not being able to act from two opposite sides at the same time, against bodies which have no inclination to approach one another, it is impossible so to understand what I have been saying about two persons mutually seeing one another's eyes, or how two torches can illuminate one another. End of section 2